I had shivers up my spine when I saw that the first time. Often I, I still do. What strikes me when I listen to that, I who speak for a living, is that I bet nobody was taking notes, but nobody forgot. When Lincoln spoke, no one took notes and no one forgot. Nobody took notes when Jesus taught either. He he taught in a way that people would remember because it's natural to remember what changes your life. If you were around on 9-11, you remember where you were. If you were alive when President Kennedy was shot, you remember where you were. When Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, you remember the things that change our lives. The message of Jesus is supposed to be that way. It's supposed to have that same kind of urgency or else it's just, will this be on the final exam? Who cares? I want us these next six weeks to experience again a refreshment of the urgency with which Jesus spoke so that you might, no matter how many times you've heard the story before, it might come alive for you so you would not have to take notes. The story of Jesus starts with the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the first of the stories about Jesus that actually gets written down. Then Matthew and Luke take Mark's gospel and add stuff to it, other stories. And then John comes from a different part of the Roman Empire and tells the story a completely different way. But Mark is the very first time that we hear the words of Jesus. The apostle Peter apparently is in Rome and he is telling young John Mark, Mark, And then Jesus did this, and then Jesus said that. And then I remember we went there, and the bishop that gets the first copy of the Gospel of Mark says, so Peter told John Mark all the stories about Jesus, though not necessarily in order. But this is the one we're pretty sure comes first. It's from Mark, chapter 1. Verse 13 of chapter 1 is where Jesus is led away into the wilderness and tempted right after he's been baptized, like the baptism we just saw here. And then a whole year goes by between Mark 1.13 and Mark 1.14. A whole year goes by after his baptism because this is not the time of Jesus. This is the time of John the Baptist. Huge crowds come to hear John the baptizer and he wails against the Romans and he talks about one who is to come. Last week, we told the story, beautiful are the feet on the mountains of the ones who bring good news. That was John the Baptist's role. But then, something changes. Mark 1, verse 14, Jesus' first words. After John the Baptist was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee, that's up north in Israel. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. 
That was his message over and over. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, fishermen. And Jesus said, come, follow me and I'll send you fishing for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. We're going to spend six weeks talking about what is the gospel and what difference does it make on Thursday afternoon, wherever you are. What do you know about the gospel and what difference does it make in your life? Because it's got to be more than just words you write down to pass a test at the end. The first thing I notice about the gospel is that it comes at a very specific time. It says, when John the Baptist had been arrested. It comes at a specific time. And then Jesus immediately refers to time. He says, the time has come. It's like Lincoln. Now, now, now. Not an hour from now when you reset your clocks. But now. There's a sense of urgency a time for you to make a decision. The other part of Jesus' message there at the beginning is that it's not just time once way back then, but it is time today. Each time that Jesus comes up, to, he says, now is the time. What time is it for you? Christianity is not a class to take. It's not an exam to pass once. It is a response to when Jesus comes up to you and says, The time is now. You ready to go? Again and again and again. When John went to prison, Jesus went into the Galilee. The gospel comes when God takes the initiative. Chesterton said, Since the day that Jesus came, it's never quite been enough to say that God's in his heaven and all is right with the world. The rumor is that God has left his heaven to make all right in the world. And it says Jesus came at the time proclaiming the gospel. Gospel is just another way of saying good news. Okay, so now I want to help you remember this. I, I, I'm not like Lincoln or like Martin Luther King or certainly not like Jesus, but I want to help you remember the simple message of Jesus we've already started. Hold up your hand. This is easy. The first thing is the first finger. The time is now. The time is now. Now is the time to learn what the gospel is about. Now we move to the second finger. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. And the king is coming. When Jesus says the kingdom, if God is near, that means the king is coming. That's the good news. That is the good news that the king is coming. We spent some time last year with the Jesus Creed. Scott McKnight. McKnight says, like navigators need the North Star. Like hikers need a compass. Followers of Jesus need a pointer. The pointer that Jesus uses is the kingdom. 
Over and over he'll say, the kingdom is the place where King Jesus changes life. The people who are committed to the kingdom form a society. We call that society church. But it's just an outpost of the kingdom. That can mean only one thing. That Jesus expects the people who follow him to live in the kingdom in their daily life. Not at church, in their daily life. Right now, the kingdom is among you. The king has come. That's the good news. The time has come. The kingdom is near. That's the good news. When Jesus gives the same speech in the Gospel of Luke, he says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. I come with good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners. I come with sight for the blind and liberty for the oppressed. I come to cancel the debts of all. It is good news because before the kingdom comes... There's bad news. This is one of the reasons it's hard in the United States of America to talk about the gospel being good news because in some ways we're living with pretty good news. Our lives compared to what happens in Somalia or the Sudan or the West Bank or anywhere else in the world, our lives are filled with good news. Jesus says, I come to bring a kingdom that is real good news. And before the kingdom comes, it's bad news because the world is broken. Jesus says, I come to find the lost. That means people are lost. He says, it is the sick who need a doctor. That means people are sick even when they don't know it. Jesus says, I come that sinners would find grace and the righteous don't like to hear that. What's the good news for you? What is the good news? Some of that is going to make your reaction to Jesus very revealing. Jesus says the time has come. The kingdom is near. The king is coming. The coming of the king, not as our little baby Jesus in the manger, not as our savior, but the time of Jesus to come as the king, your king, changes everything. Anybody read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia or at least see the movie? Those children's books are so fabulous. They talk about Aslan, the lion, who is the, the Jesus figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. And it starts out this way. It says, now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver spoke his name, every one of the kids felt something jump inside them. Edmund, the traitor, felt a sensation of terror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. And Susan, Susan felt like some delicious smell or beautiful music had just floated by. And Lucy, when she heard the name Aslan, got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and you realize it's the start of the holidays. It's the first day of summer. When we hear the name of King Jesus... It changes our world. I love Garrison Keillor. And uh, he, he recently, last month sometime, finished his uh, very Lutheran hour talking uh, 
was saying, we're going to sing a very un-Lutheran song. I want to sing an old Baptist song. Why would I sing an old Baptist song? Because a 104-year-old George Beverly Shea just went to heaven. And he said he didn't hear an old Lutheran song when he got to heaven. He heard a Baptist song. It might have been something like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Kings and kingdoms will all fade away, but there's something about that name. What do you do if when you hear the word Jesus, it stirs something in your heart? I want to be part of that. I want to be on his side. I want to be in that kingdom. The time has come. The kingdom is near. How do you get in? You repent. You repent. Now, repentance gets a bad word in our lives because we think it means, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. I'm sorry you caught me. I'll try harder next time. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, I'll try harder. Repentance is, I'm broken. Please help me. I'm broken. Please help me. And Jesus is saying, the reason I call it good news is because you are broken. Every one of you. Every one of us is broken to the core. Solzhenitsyn says, the problem with evil is not that it's out there. The problem with evil is that it runs through the center of the human heart. I'm broken, and so are you. And Jesus says, I have come not to fix you. I've come to save you. We have four or five. They keep springing up and changing shape four or five places in this building where every single week people come and they say, I am a broken human being and I am lost and I cannot fix myself. And whether it's Al-Anon or Eaters Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous or some kind of drug anonymous, it starts with repenting. For them, repenting is this. We admitted that we were powerless over the power of alcohol, over the power of drugs, over the power of success, over the power of money. We were powerless over the power of gambling or work or approval or our children's happiness. We admitted we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. That's repentance. We admitted that only a power greater than us could restore us to sanity. Broken people admit that they are not in their right minds and they receive then and only then. Repentant people receive the gift of grace. Not I'll try harder, not I can get this right, but I'm broken, God help me. And God comes and not only helps us, he forgives us. The time is now. The kingdom is here. It's good news if we repent and believe. Believing, then, is a lot different than taking notes, knowing the answers for the test. I'm all for learning new facts about Jesus. I think that's important. But believing means that I will embrace the story. I will come to believe in the story so that I get 
into the story. We embrace the story of Jesus so that it comes alive in us again and again and again, and it changes us because we're not the same person we were the first time we heard the story. It's as old as the Protestant Reformation and older. Martin Luther had a friend, a colleague named Melanchthon, and Melanchthon asked if Luther would hear his confession, one brother confessing to another, and so he said, sure. Melanchthon says, I struggle with this sin, and they prayed for forgiveness. And he came back the next month, and among other things, he prayed for the same sin again. I can't seem to stop this. And the third month, he comes again, and in frustration, he says, I can't seem to stop this. Pray for my forgiveness. And the fourth month, when Melanchthon comes back, and says, I have done it again. God knows nothing seems to help. Luther said, Philip, the gospel is about Jesus. It's not about you. You don't fight sin by wrestling with the devil. You fight sin by turning to the Savior. That's what we believe. We don't fight sin by trying to suck it up and do it better but by turning to the Savior and saying, God, help me. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, you who are tired of trying harder, pretending. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Watching the baptisms of the children reminded me of a day not too long ago where... uh, a man and his wife came and presented their daughters to be baptized here. And when they were going to be baptized, the dad knelt and he was baptized as well. He said, I thank God for grace. And he had told me in my study, I thank God that I could admit to you and to my wife the terrible things that I have done and believe that God has forgiven me. But he said to me, John, I want to be baptized because I don't want to be that man anymore. I don't want to be that man anymore. How can I change? And I told him, the time has come. The king is here. Repent. Admit that you're broken. Believe the good news. It's good news because you don't have to stay like you are. Because it ends, not with four fingers of our four points, it ends with a fifth. Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom is here, repent and believe. But he doesn't stop there. It says he walked up to the beach and he turned to some guys and he said, come, follow me. The key to the gospel of Jesus is not what you hear in your ears, it's who you follow. It's who becomes your king because that changes everything. People who follow Jesus kneel here and get forgiven and then very slowly they start to follow Jesus and it changes everything. John Ortberg says it this way. He said, people who listened to Jesus said things like, we've never heard anything like this before. And they did not mean his tone of voice. They did not mean his sermon illustrations. They did not mean his visuals or his use of humor. There was something about Jesus that keeps prodding people to follow him. Francis of Assisi gives up his possessions, and St. Augustine gives up his mistress. 
John Newton gives up his slaves, amazing grace. And Father Damien gives up his health in Hawaii to touch lepers. Damien follows Jesus, and that inspires Tolstoy. And Tolstoy inspires Gandhi. And Gandhi's Jesus inspires Martin Luther King, who teaches Desmond Tutu to set up a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that saves all of South Africa. Jesus teaches to change lives. Theirs and mine and yours. That's the gospel. We want to get inside of us this Lent. William Barclay says, Jesus Christ did not say, I have a theological system that I'd like you to consider. He didn't say, I have some theories I'd like you to ponder, or I have an ethical system that I would like you to obey. No, the gospel begins with Jesus Christ saying, come and follow me, and all will be well. Let's pray. Lord God, some of us have heard this story so often that it is not news at all, so it can't be good news. Some of us hear this today like it's the first time, like they don't realize they don't have to be good enough. They're not. But for God's sake, for your sake, God, I pray that the time would be now. That this morning, this hour, this time, you would once again come to us. We cannot find you. You come to us. And say the kingdom is here. Admit your brokenness and ask for my help. Believe in me and follow me. This is the only message we have, Lord Jesus. These are the only words that will save us. Convince us of that, heart and mind, body and soul. Comfort us with truth that will heal us. Most of all, teach us, Lord Jesus, to follow you, to follow you when you call, softly and tenderly, when you call to us. Amen.